Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. It's been a rough two weeks for the Cincinnati Bengals, and they lost two heartbreaking games in two very different ways the past two weeks. And uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what to say of what transpired on Sunday night. We will touch on that. Hello, everyone. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza, joining you once again. And uh, with me is co-host John Sheeran. John. I don't know what time you turned that game off on Sunday, but uh, hopefully, it, hopefully you didn't watch every single second of that debacle. It was uh, it was pretty ugly. That's what sucks about being the editor. I got to watch every painstaking minute of every yeah, I'm game. I'm with you. I'm but... with you on that one. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Yeah, was bad. I, I and you know the unfortunate thing is we thought it might we thought it would either be a shootout in a really fun game. Or maybe something – we didn't think it would be that bad, but maybe something resembling a five-touchdown loss. Um, uh, I just – you know, and you, you lose by five touchdowns right after you, you lose to your bitter rivals at the last second. Uh, it, it's pretty tough. Joining us for the first time in what, two months, right since the beginning of the season, Scott Schultz, Scott. It's been a little while. Yeah. How are you, sir? I, I know it's been it's almost been a tale of two seasons since we've had you on. Um, started off four and one, and then all of a sudden these last two losses. Uh, I guess since we haven't had John for a little bit, your thoughts on the what this Bengals team kind of started out as um, since we haven't had John. You know, rough two years prior. Uh, pretty good start this year. Altered recently. What do you think? Yeah, I think. I mean, most people. I mean, I think Vegas had him at what five or six wins. I think most fans were kind of hoping eight or nine wins. So, starting four and one was obviously very exciting. But of course, part of that is you have to look. You know, who were they playing to get to four and one? I mean, it's not like they were playing the Patriots and um, the Chiefs. And obviously, we saw it happen when they played the Chiefs. But yeah, so I think the four and one was you know probably ahead of expectations and maybe got people a little extra excited. And then they came down to earth when. You know, the Steelers game, I think, deflated a lot of people, but they were right in that to the end. And then the Chiefs game, I mean, it was a road game, very good team. Uh, but, yeah, still that was. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you would have told us at the beginning of the year, they'd be four and three at this point without getting anything from uh, Billy Price, without getting anything from John Ross. I think most fans would probably have said, you know, two months ago, that's a position I'm okay with. I like that. You know, it's, it kind of puts you – right there in the hunt for the division for a wild card spot. You know, you're in the playoff hunt. You're right there. You're, you know, you haven't gotten contributions from some of the guys you wanted to get contributions from like perfect. And, you know, some of appeal. So I think that's a, you know, at the end of the day, it's a nice spot overall. I mean, it's obviously not great, but yeah. I mean, after seven games, I think um, heading into the Tampa Bay game, it's a, uh, it's an, it's a decent spot to be in. Yes, and there's a lot a lot of that we will talk about tonight. Um, we're not going to really go through uh, 
we're not going to really go through either loss too much tonight because really we talked about the Steelers a lot last week and then I'm not quite sure what you know what we could really break down this week aside from just the Bengals getting utterly demolished so we won't talk too much about that but more about what's ahead what's the problem what are the problems with the Cincinnati Bengals currently and and what how you know how, how they could fix them we'll also be joined by Gene Thomas of uh, pretty pretty funny podcast name, Buck What You Heard uh, podcast. Uh, he, he runs a, a cool podcast there, and he will be joining us later in the program to preview week eight. But, you know, there are so many things we could point to as to, to issues and all of that, but a little bit to Scott uh, to Scott's point, the Bengals are still in the AFC North hunt. I mean, we, we, we kind of feel like the sky is falling, all these injuries are coming out. To Scott's point, the Bengals are still in the AFC North race, but things need to change. So I'll start with you, John. What right now, if you could pick one thing out of a hat, uh, because and it would be a pretty full hat, what is the one thing you would sit here and say this is the this is the major the one major thing that the Bengals need to change? Now it can be anything from coaching to just the defense to a scheme, play calling, something within the organization, you know, what's the one thing that you think is plaguing this team the most currently right now? Um, I could just say Marvin Lewis and be done with it, but to go for a, a deeper answer, um, when we did our season previews, I mentioned the health of Cordy Glenn, Tyler Eifert, and John Ross being crucial for this team to get in that double-digit win range. And so far, Eifert is going to miss 12 games this year, or 12 and a half, I guess. John Ross has already missed a handful, and we don't know when he'll be back. And since Eifert has been hurt, and in the games that Ross has been played, the offense hasn't eclipsed 20 points. They had uh, 20 points against Steelers, and that's, that's been it. So it's been offensive inefficiencies without two of their best playmakers. And that was something that me and I'm sure a lot of other people were concerned about because – Relying on those two guys when they've had durability issues in the past was always dangerous. And the same kind of goes to the defense when relying on Burfix play and emotional leadership and his you know, constant antics and whatnot. So it, I think they just have to learn how to stay in games with a, let's just say, a bad defense. Because if, like they're not going to be able to keep teams under 20 points, especially games like the Buccaneers and the Saints and, you know, the Chargers later in, in, in the year, they're not going to be able to keep those teams, you know, under the minimal points that they put up without Eifert and Ross. If they can't, well, they can't count Ross or, or Eifert, obviously, but if they don't have Ross, then they need to find a way to, you know, successfully run an offense through just AJ Green, Boyd, and I guess use Oma, you know, maybe use Mixon more creatively in the passing game, um, you know, use Bernard and Mixon more efficiently in the running game, you know, use what they do best, you know, utilize them to their strengths. I just think that all falls on Bill Lazor and Andy Dahl and just making the proper adjustments going forward to overcome the health issues that they have on offense because they can't count on the, their, their defense right now or in the foreseeable future. So I think that just puts even more pressure on the offense to work with what they have. So you t- you kind of touched on a few things there, but it sounded like the injuries were the crux. Of, and and yeah. you know, that's, that's okay because really one thing – if we pick one thing, it usually feeds into a couple of other things, right? I mean, that that's just how this goes. So if I if I heard you correctly, you're saying basically the injuries, especially to key players they were relying on on offense, uh, 
is is probably the thing that's hurting them the most at this point. Am I correct? They need to score. They, they need to score points, even if things don't always go their way. Basically, yeah, yeah. Um, not uh, just to John's point a little bit on the injury front. Not a good report on Wednesday heading into Week Eight against the Buccaneers. Yeah, Vontez Perfect, who had left the Chiefs game early with a hip injury. Darquez Denard, who left the Steelers game early with a – this is a really, really fun word to say – sternoclavicular uh, injury. John Ross, that lingering groin issue. Nick Vigil, the knee issue. Tyler Croft, his foot injury. Giovanni Bernard, the knee injury he suffered apparently against the Falcons. Uh, you have Bobby Hart now on the injury report with a back injury. And Dre Kirkpatrick with an Achilles injury. So – to John's point, this is this is a battered, battered team on both sides of the ball. And I, I do like the point that you made with Eifert and Ross, John, just in the fact that, you know, some people are saying, you know, oh, well, if the Bengals were relying on Eifert through, to, to move their offense through, you know, that's that was a mistake on their part. They weren't just relying. They, they had A.J. Green, right? They mm-hmm. had they had uh, they have Tyler Boyd that they like. They had Eifert, yes. They like Croft. They like Uzoma. They they like uh, Geo provides a lot of stuff, and then they they liked Ross. So they were re- relying on all of those guys, and four of those names are not currently available and haven't been available for a while. So to those people saying, well, if they were just relying on Eifert, then they were making a mistake. No, they were relying on about six or seven guys at the skill positions, and uh, you know, four of those guys are currently unavailable. So that's that's not good, Scott. Your one aspect that you think is plaguing the Bengals the most at this point. I guess if I were to pick one thing, I mean, it's like I said, it's very hard to isolate one. It, for me, it's got to be the defense. I mean, they're 28th in the NFL. They lost Gunther, brought in Terrell Austin. People were saying, oh, they're going to be more aggressive. You know, it's more of a uh, – they're going to have more turnovers. They, they have this aggression pass – the pass rush has essentially been non-existent. I mean, the Chiefs game against backup offensive linemen had very little pass rush. They had no pass rush against uh, you know Ben Roethlisberger the week before. Carl Lawson, who had, what, seven or eight, eight sacks last year, has like one this year. And some of the, the uh, personnel selections and some of the, the defensive schemes they're calling, I mean, they've had Hardy Nickerson out there for more snaps than Carl Lawson. To me, that's not a a good situation, and 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 when Dawson is out there, granted, he doesn't. I mean, he he was a beast in preseason of last year. This year, when I see him, he just I don't know. I I'm, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief because I know we're um, just trying to give one thing. But yeah, the whole. I mean, I, I wish they would put William Jackson over the team's top receiver the whole game and not just kind of put him to a side or a scheme like you know put him on Tyree Kill the whole game. Don't just let him. You know, oh, he's gonna be on. You know, this spot and then let the let the offense um line up you know inferior guys against him so they can get other guys open I'd, and you know if lawson's that good put him out there and if hardy nickerson's not i don't i'm <laughs> been impressed with them i i'd I find somebody has you know vinnie right somebody put somebody or you know even uh you know put fedulum as like a you know that nickel kind of you know that third um safety whatever something i, I mean I, if i knew what the answer was i'd probably be in coaching but I, I think I can see what the answer is not, and <laughs> it's definitely not whatever they're doing. And I think it's just a mix of things. I mean, uh, uh, schemes, you know, personnel decisions, The and even when there was that play, I think it was against the Steelers, when they brought this all-out blitz, 
and I've watched that thing several times. And they look like it's like eight or nine guys, and still had no no pressure on Ben Roethlisberger. There's no way you can you can send nine yeah nine on five or nine on six and not at least get one guy within a couple of feet of him. So they've just absolutely got to fix the and the pass rush looked great in the preseason and. Once the you know once they started playing for real, it just totally vanished. So they've just got to figure out what to do on defense. I mean, on defense, and I think it's it's not a simple fix as far as one thing. I mean, the linebackers can't tackle the defensive front. Is it getting the pass rush? They, yeah, it's it's a mix of things. So I'll just I'll just say defense and leave it at that. And that's that's a very easy place to point to, and a very uh, accurate place to point to. And unfortunately, what was Terrell Austin's reputation in Detroit, which is kind of a feast or famine type of defense, has been the case here in Cincinnati. They have a couple of games where they have big turnovers, turnovers for touchdowns, where they have a couple of games where the pass rush is awesome, uh, a couple of halves with the where the pass rush actually does some good things, but then they have games where they totally disappear. They have games where the turnovers are not there. And obviously that either leads to losses or very close games that, that maybe shouldn't be um, a close game. And uh, you know, just kind of a caveat. I mean, it's sometimes people lump them together there, but a lot of times they are three different phases. The special teams crew has given up quite a few mistakes and big plays as well this year which is a little bit uncharacteristic i'm i'm gonna say for me i mean I, and i i don't disagree with either of you i'm gonna say for me there's been some underachievement with former high picks and be it in the form of injuries or be it in the form of just terrell austin's defense or what have you jordan willis a guy i was really high on hasn't really done much as a cincinnati Bengal. john ross as you mentioned john hurt a lot when he's out there, the offense is different, and he has grabbed two touchdowns this year, but he can't stay healthy. Tyler Eifert, another high pick, gone for the year again. Cedric Abwehi, wasted pick at this point. Jake Fisher, wasted pick at this point. Um, a couple of third-round linebackers the Bengals have invested in. P.J. Dawson a couple of years ago, not even on the team anymore. Uh, the kid this year from Texas not getting any time on defense when clearly guys like Hardy Nickerson and others are struggling. Uh, to me, yeah, you know, a long time ago, first-round picks, Dalton, Green, Dunlap, you know, in, in the first and second round have have come out and, and played pretty well, but – some of these other guys, I mean, I, I, there was a tweet from our good friend Joe Goodberry that he put out during the Steelers game that I thought was pretty awesome. And he, he listed out, I think, the first-round picks from 2013 through 2018. And during at a point during the game, I think even you could even put 2012 in there with Drake Kirkpatrick. Uh -huh. But basically, 2012 through 2018, at a point in the game against the Steelers, not one of those players was on the field. Not one. And then you also look at 2012, Kevin Zeitler, a pretty pretty damn good offensive guard. He's not even on the team anymore. They let him go in free agency. So my problem is, and spoiler alert, this is probably going to feed into the next part of this question, the next segment. But my problem is these high draft picks that are not pulling their weight. And whether that is coaching, whether that is scheme, whether that is, I, I don't know what exactly it is. 
they're, they're, uh, this team can't afford when they've invested so much into the draft. They can't afford to have all these high picks not doing well, and especially when they have had two straight losing seasons. And you know they started off hot this year. They keep they they keep losing to the good teams. They need to have these marquee players on the field available and play well. I understand injuries; they happen. Um, uh, sometimes it's a bad luck thing. And, and the team can't necessarily always help that. But to me, this is absolutely killing the team. And uh, I, I don't know exactly all of the specific reasons for it, but I see it and you don't see these guys on the field. And that to me is troubling. Um, so those are some of the issues that we on the Orange and Black Insider have pointed out. I'm saying the high draft picks not pulling their weight. Our, our good friend Scott Schulte and, and co-host Scott Schulte says the defense is not up to snuff, which is definitely the case. And my co-host John Sheeran says injuries, among other facets, uh, is, is to blame for a lot of the Bengals' issues uh, going forward. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We are so happy to have you with us, even though the team has lost two in a row and, and two in – pretty ugly fashion uh we we're still we're still happy to have you with us and we're still happy to uh be talking bangles with you weekly on this program you can get this show on itunes uh stitcher google play on cincyjungle.com it's on art 19 and of course you can get it on youtube and you can subscribe to those channels please do we're on twitter at bangles obi and uh, get in touch with us. We're going to take some listener questions later in the program. We do have uh, Gene Thomas from the Buck What You Heard podcast. I, I wish I was as creative with our podcast name uh, as, as he was with his because that's, that's a pretty cool name. Uh, to preview week eight with the Buccaneers, we're looking forward to having him on in just a little bit here. Uh, John, so what's the fix? You're, you're saying injuries. What's the fix here? Um, and if you if you want to say there's another fix outside of the injury issue, that's fine. But um, you know, if, if you're going to stick with injuries, is it? Hey, that medical staff still isn't up to snuff. <laughs> hey, that they're not scouting players, the the right players, or they're not you know they're not doing their due diligence on some of these players who have had either previous health issues or what have you. Um, or is there something else we're saying that that's that's where the Bengals got to go? I don't know, man. Um, like like to your point. Most of the most of their first round picks have had their fair share of injuries, and I guess that's not specifically a Bengals issue. I guess it's more just a random luck thing. Like specifically, like like Dark was Denard, um, William Jackson, um, like maybe even Drake or Patrick. Like none of those guys like had you know injury concerns in college, and then you know all of a sudden they miss you know significant time here and there, and you know it's just kind of it's kind of the nature of the game, I guess, but. Like from what I said about the offense, I, I just think that you know you just got you just got to be able to to find a way about spreading the ball around a little bit more efficiently because you're not going to have that guy in John Ross for the foreseeable future to you know spread the spread the defense out and keep them on their toes a little bit and maybe that's you know continuing to do what AJ Green does best right now and that's using him out of the slot. It's you know it, it's getting mixed and maybe lined out out wide a little bit more. Uh, like I said earlier, is you know running mix now. Keeping 
Mixon in the shotgun for runs because it's, that's where statistically he does better, even if he didn't quite work out against the Chiefs. When Giovanni Bernard comes back, you can run him under center because he's one of the best backs in the league in doing that. Um, There's still We can still pound the table about Christian Westerman over Alex Redman at right guard, and we can still talk about, hey, maybe putting Billy Price at right guard o- over him because Redman has just been constant liability and pass protection there. It's just a multitude of, of different things that we just need to see you know, Bill Lazor and Lewis, you know, work together and, and adjust accordingly because as we know, you know, under Lewis, things are pretty stubborn during the middle of the season and they don't typically make any changes or if they do make changes, they don't make the right ones. And it's kind of just the overall theme with successful teams under Marvin Lewis is that he's usually carried by his offensive and defensive coordinators. And when they were doing well, we praised Lazor and Austin, you know, right, rightfully so because both of those Units were playing very well under their leadership. And when they've been terrible the last two weeks, we've both put blame on both of those guys because of, you know, different issues. So I just think it really comes down to, you know, are they worthy of the praise that we gave them earlier if they can, you know, overcome unfortunate things because this is the NFL and the Eagles last year won the Super Bowl without their starting quarterback and left tackle. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that Bill Lazor has to be Doug Peterson and Frank Reich in that case, but you know, like if this team is serious about contending for the playoffs, which I don't think any of us believe they are, you know, they have to show in these next couple of weeks with, with all that's going on. Agreed. Um, Mike Brown, the owner has been a guy who obviously has said that he wants a championship and Marvin Lewis has said the same, but uh, the actions don't match the words, unfortunately, sometimes. And, um, you know, they, they tease us, they get, they get close, but, um, they get to the playoffs at times, but then uh, they fall on their face, and unfortunately, it's it's in big games like the last two that we've seen. So, um, you know, pretty difficult to see, and uh, like you said, they're just very, very questionable decisions. Scott, your your one big fix for the team on this two game losing streak, uh, based on what either your reasoning or anything we've talked about so far. I guess my uh, if I was to have one big change it would be the big change i think a lot of fans have been hoping for for many many years and that would be for marvin lewis to finally have that come to jesus moment in regards to halftime adjustments (laughs) or in-game adjustments uh i mean when you see a game like the chiefs where the chiefs keep doing the same thing over and over and you keep looking as inept as you do over and over at some point you know you've got to chat with your coordinator chat with someone positional coach or someone say hey Whatever we're doing isn't just working. It's just not, I mean, it's worse than not working. We need to try a- anything. And uh, and you would think after what, it's 15, 16, 17, whatever many years, since 2003, whatever the math, 15 years, that at some point um, he would come to that realization. And that would be my, my one big thing. Now there's a few small things. There's much simpler things because I don't know if that moment is going to happen. Uh, you know, the small things I'd do, I'd stop handing the ball off to Walton. I would stop running behind the middle or right side of the offensive line. I would scheme a pass rush where I don't need to rely on Geno Atkins to be a dominant all-pro beast to win one-on-one, that I can actually get other guys involved in the pass rush by the way we are scheming or lining or whatever we're doing. I mean, those would be the simple things. The The bigger thing would be, like I mentioned, the uh, – yeah, the – that whole thing in a – you know, adjusting and, and not determining your your scheme before the game and then 
refusing to deviate from it when it obviously doesn't work. So yeah, and so it sounds like both of yours in different ways go back to the root of coaching, right? John, you're kind of talking about personnel decisions and and things of that nature, correct? Mm. Scott, you're kind of talking about, you know, halftime adjustments and things of that nature. So, I mean, those are two separate issues, but they do come down to, to coaching and whatnot. Um, I'm, I'm going to kind of go a little bit, I guess, higher in the organizational hierarchy, and I'm going to play off of what I said about the draft. And I've said this before on this program and on CincyJungle.com and all kinds of things. I just, I think there needs to be a shift in the offseason focus. And, uh, I, you know, I think relying on the draft is a sage and wise strategy, especially for a small to mid-market team that doesn't, you know, spend the big bucks or makes this always the splashiest things, uh, splashiest moves in the offseason. But I don't, I, I just... I can't see the value of what they're doing when, when their first round picks and even, even other, you know, third round picks and things of that nature are not either. They're not on the team. They're not producing or, you know, whatever, or they're injured. Um, That's not bearing fruit. And then you have other issues where, where the Bengals hoard these compensatory picks and the, the compensatory t- picks aren't bearing fruit. So, you know, you sit here and uh, there was a commenter, I, I can't remember who it was, on a, on a post today on CincyJungle.com. Um, it might have been on one of, the, one of the things I put up. I can't remember. But basically he outlined the, um, the compensatory picks and who they grabbed. And it was like, whoa. I mean, there's nobody there that has made an impact. And not only that, not only do they grab the compensatory picks, but they don't really maneuver. And now, granted, that's a new thing that you can maneuver with the compensatory picks, but they don't even really maneuver that much Mm -hmm. with with, with the picks that they have. So when, when you sit here, my thing is, and I put this in writing, when you really focus on the draft, and you really hoard these picks, you number one need to basically hit on a higher percentage than most teams do because you're, they're not doing much in free agents outside free agency. So you need to hit on a higher percentage than most of these picks and you have to properly develop them and then you have to keep them. So for, for a while and including the past couple of years, the Bengals have done okay in keeping a lot of their guys, but there was that stretch in 2016, 2017 where they lost a core group of guys and it really set them back. So my thing is, is you got to either, if you're going to really still keep that draft centric mindset, you got to either add a bunch of scouts and really do your due diligence on what you're doing in in that respect and move around, be, be flexible to move around to get the impact player that you want. Or you have to be a team that says, you know what, we do need that one or two, upper tier, tier two outside free agent that's out there, then kind of do the rental deals that we normally do, and then supplement that with the draft process that we've normally done. They can't, they're putting all of their eggs in one basket, and it's it, it keeps turning around and biting them these past three years. And mm-hmm. I, I don't, 
you know, I don't, uh, I don't see it. It was, you know, it was a, a commenter on Cincy Jungle. I found the comment. These are uh, basically every every comp compensatory pick I think since 2011 that they put out or, or re in recent years. These are the guys: Reed Fragle, T.J. Johnson, Marquise Flowers, Lavelle Westbrooks, Paul Dawson, Marcus Hardison, Ryan Glasgow, J.J. Dealman, and Mason Shrek. A lot of quality guys there. So, I mean, that's that's what you're keeping these picks for. I I, I guess. Meanwhile, Damian Harrison's getting traded for a fifth round pick. Right, right. So, I just. I, I think that the Bengals need a shift of approach there along with, of course, what you guys said. And uh, I, I think mine is a bit more long-term process and uh, will take some major organizational changes in order for that to happen. Yours um, can be immediate fixes and, and probably can be ones that um, the Bengals can use going forward in this season and maybe still salv salvage a possible playoff berth. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenz, and I'm joined by Scott Schultz. Finally, the, the for, for past two months we've missed him, and my usual co-host John Sheeran. We appreciate you tuning into this program. We're on iTunes, we're on YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, CincyJungle.com, and all of our stuff is on Art19. We're going to now adjust our focus a bit to week eight and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we have Gene Thomas from one of the best podcast names I've, I've heard in a long time, Buck, what you heard Gene, before we kind of dive into this matchup, which is one that we don't see very often between the Bengals and the Buccaneers. Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into the podcasting. Uh, and it, I, I would assume you're kind of in the Tampa Bay area, maybe. Yeah, I'm I'm from Tampa originally, and uh, right now I my job moved me out to Phoenix. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, but I do get to go back to games in Tampa all the time. So, uh, home is home, and I've been I've been doing podcasting since like 2013, and just kind of on and off. And I really didn't like the way the media was presenting the small market team, so I just kind of gave myself an opportunity to go out there and give a voice for the fans. A, a lot of my stuff is fan related. And I would rather listen to a podcast like yours to get insight on a team rather than go to NFL Network or ESPN to to get that kind of information. Because, you know, you're talking, you're asking questions that fans want to know. And that's what I want to know about. So, you know, like you, uh, I'm out here, you know, getting different guests on and trying to get the fans perspective as well as get some uh, knowledgeable people on that can help the listeners to, you know, know a little bit more. Well, super grateful that you made the time to come on tonight, and uh, I am pretty stoked to to go on your your show as well. Here, you've you've graciously invited me to come on to your program. So, um, if uh, for the for the fans and listeners of this this show, definitely listen to the Buck What You Heard podcast this uh, this week and going forward. And I like what you said about the the I guess the media bias a little bit in terms of NFL teams. Obviously the the Buccaneers are, you know, they've, they've won a Super Bowl, so they were pretty popular for a while. But, you know, they they've kind of get lost in the shuffle, as do the Bengals sometimes in terms of overall popularity in the NFL. And uh, it's good to have a soundboard and a platform, like you said, for, for listeners and fans to, to have their voice be heard. And uh, like I said to our listeners later, we'll be ending the show with text calls, emails, all that stuff. So stay okay. tuned for that. Um, 
So, Gene, I'm just I'm just gonna start it off with you. I'm gonna go super obvious, and then we're gonna kind of just roundtable this thing. Um, the quarterback issue in Tampa Bay. I don't even know if it's really an issue anymore, based on the fact that Tampa Bay won last week. But Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and trust trust Bengals folks. We know who Ryan Fitzpatrick is and what he's about and all of that. We've seen a lot. And Ryan Fitzpatrick did what Ryan Fitzpatrick does, which is has a couple of insane games, then a couple of games where you're going, dude, what are you doing, uh, that result in losses. But he had that fan base energized. Jameis Winston, obviously a more talented guy, but sometimes doesn't have it all together upstairs. What is the pulse of the quarterback position um, going forward with, with Tampa Bay? And obviously they're committed to Jameis because – he was the number one overall pick, but right. is, is that kind of yeah, positive very, with him? Yeah, that's that's very accurate. And I guess for a lot of fans, a lot of fans weren't real happy with his performance against the Cleveland Browns. Me personally, I I was I was fine with with what he did. They won the game. He was able to drive down the field and actually uh, put them in a position to to score at the end of the game. So uh, he did what a quarterback is supposed to do: put his team in a position to win. A lot of people aren't happy with the turnovers. A lot of people talk about uh, his inconsistencies. But what I've seen from him is uh, constant progression uh, since his rookie season. A lot of people are going to disagree with you. But if you look at the stats, I mean, that's kind of what they show. We just need the wins and losses to to kind of back that up. I, I'm excited about this game. This is a good measuring stick to see where Jameis Winston is playing against a uh, a team like uh, like the Cincinnati Bengals, getting to see uh, a Geno Atkins out there and, and some of the other defensive players as well. So um, I mean, I'm kind of excited to see what this offense can do against that defense. Um, so we all watched, or I, because the Bengals weren't playing at one, I got the opportunity to watch the Bucks play the Browns because it was in the uh, the Ohio market, and I guess we all kind of saw how that game turned out on a scale of one to ten. How confident are you that Chandler Cantonazaro Cant- can make that field goal again? Um, I'm I'm for, I'm fine with it. I, I think he can. It's it's all in his head, you know. Uh, kickers from kickers have it from the neck up. They could have all the physical tools in the world, but if they don't have it from the neck up, that's I don't know. That's that's just kind of what what messes them up. And you saw he 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 missed that extra point, and then uh, you know he missed a field goal. And then he turns around and kicks the ball short of going through the end zone. But at the end of the game, they gave him a chance, you know, 59-yard kick, and, and he nails it. Talking with Gene Thomas of the Buck What You Heard Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast. So glad to have you with us. Um, I, I Like you, I guess, I, you, you mentioned you, you live in Arizona, Gene, now. Um, I live in Southern California, so I saw a ton of Ronald Jones. A ton of Ronald Jones, and I absolutely loved the kid. I loved it. I loved him in college. Mm-hmm. Um, the stats so far, I, I think he's maybe battled a couple little nicks and, and whatnot, but, you know, you look at his stats, nothing truly jumps out at you. You know, he's got the one touchdown, but that kid was explosive in college. Um, he is – he's got great speed, but he is kind of the one-cut guy. Um, your thoughts on him and his future with the Buccaneers? I mean, obviously – Tampa Bay now has a lot of explosive playmakers at the skill positions, and I think he can be one, but your thoughts on him and his future? 
Well, I, I like Ronald Jones. I, I think as he comes along, uh, as the season progresses, you'll start to see more and more of him. I think they've been bringing him along. Uh, I think he's had issues with the playbook, learning the playbook and putting himself, you know, on the field. You had another uh, early in the season, you had another running back, um, Sean Wilson, who was a special teams guy. And Ronald Jones is, you know, not a special teams guy, you know, and with USC, as you know, they're not assigning those those running backs to go out and block or, you know, right. pick the blitzes or anything like that. So he's learning a whole nother facet of the NFL. And, he, and I think he's coming along very good, you know, where he's able to catch passes out of the backfield, which now is like a prerequisite for a running back is you have to have some kind of hands, you know, coming out of the backfield for a lot of these offensive coordinators. So looking at Ronald Jones, I'm I'm patient. I feel like, you know, he's a rookie. Let's bring him along slowly. And eventually he will get to get out there and and show what he can do when the time comes. Yeah. And I mean, if there's one, if, if you want to do a correlation or a silver lining for Ronald Jones in his future, uh, Giovanni Bernard, a, a running back for the Bengals, was a guy who was known as kind of, he did some kick returns in college. He did, uh, he obviously ran the ball, caught the ball, but he has been a very good blocker. He has become a very good blocker in the NFL. So uh, that is something that obviously if Jones works on, you know, that, that he could hone his craft. Um, uh, I, big news for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is that they fired recently Mike Smith, right? Yes. The, the defensive coordinator, I believe he was the highest paid defensive coordinator in the NFL. And, uh, you know, obviously a big name, a guy that was a head coach and, and led to the, the Falcons to some success deserved uh, a little too quick to pull the rug out from under him. Uh, your, your thoughts on him and uh, what, what's oh. going forward. I think, I think it's Mark Duffner who's taken over an old Bengals yeah, Mark, coach, Mark right? You, you guys are familiar with Mark Duffner. I'm sure yeah. if, you, if you go back that far. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it. It, it needed to happen. Uh, if you look at the, if you look at the play calling, uh, defensive play calling and the execution, it wasn't there. It just, uh, something was missing. There were games last year, uh, year before the one consistency. I remember there's always that one game where these players were looking lost out there. And it, it was just frustrating to watch this when you've got guys that have been together, the core has been together, but you still have guys that are out there looking confused and nobody can bring everything together. What you saw last week was a more energized defense and it looked like they were all on the same page, and you saw a lot less of uh, what you've seen uh, in the past weeks from uh, Mike Smith uh, play calling and more of uh, fire from the Duffner uh, play calling. So about that defense, um, uh, according to expected points, it's a, it's a little bit worse than the Bengals, and the Bengals defense has been obviously awful. And what you guys just suffered was a Quan Alexander injury. Talk about maybe the impact of how his absence would impact the defense going forward under the new defensive coordinator. And if your guys' replacement could do something to an effect of kind of compensating for the loss of a guy like a guy like Juan, who when I, when I see on Twitter, he's kind of like that emotional leader of of that defense. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what he is. And, he meant, he meant a lot for this team. He was your uh, your quarterback on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, just losing him was, was huge. There was an interview with uh, JPP, and, you know, he, he even said that, you know, this guy just playing with him, he really – he's looking forward to playing with him next year. And you have a consummate professional like 
uh, JPP to say something like that that speaks volumes about that player. So, yeah, I I like him. I had been on him a little bit, if you watch some of my past podcasts, for being undisciplined in some of the games that they played. But this last game, while he was on the field, he he really uh, made up for a lot of that against the, the Cleveland Browns. Talking with Gene Thomas of Buck What You Heard podcast, previewing week eight against the Cincinnati Bengals as the Buccaneers travel to Cincinnati this week and uh, take on a a game of, of two interesting and, and somewhat under the radar teams. Um, we're we're going to get you out of here in just a few minutes here, Gene. Appreciate the time. I, I want to jump in here real, just real quick. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, I mean, injury-wise, with, with the Cincinnati Bengals. I was just looking at some of the injuries that you guys have. I mean, Trayvon Henderson, uh, Tyler Eifert, uh, John Ross with a nagging groin injury, uh, just a lot, uh, Giovanni Bernard. And you've got a lot of guys that when you started the season, these were guys that were key pieces in uh, putting the Cincinnati Bengals in a position to to make that playoff run. And then you lose these guys and it kind of changes how you do things. I realize that it's next man up. But uh, again, these are guys that you kind of were expecting to come in and make plays and, and put this team in that position. When you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I mean, you lose uh, uh, Vernon Hargraves, uh, Chris mm-hmm. Conte, uh, a guy that uh, Kendall Beckwith, who had a huge season last year at linebacker, and uh, you know he's lost with a with an injury or pre- before the season started. Uh, then you lose Jack Sitchi, a linebacker, and then Quan Alexander. So. Um, and we don't even know if Gerald McCoy is going to be playing on, on Sunday. So uh, a lot of injuries along that defensive side of the ball and guys that we really expected to to make plays, you know, moving forward through the season. Yeah. And, you know, you for the Bengals on offense, you know, that it, it, it's no coincidence they were putting up quite a few points the first, you know, three, three weeks of the season, three, four weeks of the season. Then they start losing Tyler Rye for John Ross, all these guys, Tyler Croft, their other tight end, and 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 the points drop a bit. But I, I like that you brought up Tyler Reifert because that's where I'm going kind of with my next question because a lot of fans a couple of years ago wanted to see the Bengals draft O.J. Howard, not only as a potential, hey, Eifert gets hurt a lot. Eifert's great. He gets hurt a lot. But not only as a potential replacement type of guy if he gets hurt, but a guy that you can put both of those guys out there. Nice safety blanket. How have have the Buccaneers fans been pretty pleased with what he's done so far for them? Oh, most definitely. In the beginning, I can I can tell you for a fact that it was split because Florida is a football. That's a football state. Mm-hmm. So you got guys coming out of college that certain certain fan base members want. I want this guy. And when the Bucks had a chance to pick him at number 19, you you would have to be crazy not to take an O.J. Howard at 19, uh, regardless of who you have at tight end. So getting him was it, it was a it was a blessing because I look at this guy. He can block. He's physical. Uh, he takes up space and he's learning how to use his body to make catches. So I'm I'm really looking forward to him. Yeah, I mean, phenomenal player, and uh, you know, I think he needed. Uh, he was a polished player, but obviously needed a little bit of of grooming. But uh, good to see that he's making an impact for the Buccaneers. And if you, Gene, have watched anything about the Bengals' defense, they're oh, they're, they're, <laughs> their covering of tight ends is not. Uh, <laughs> it's not <laughs> not one of their strong points. So uh, OJ Howard may have a pretty solid day. 
going forward here. Your your thoughts on how this game plays out? Kind of, uh, you know, a couple of these defenses that have been letting up a lot of points. Like you said, though, Mark Duffner, a guy who is pretty familiar with the Bengals, Marvin Lewis and, and company, um, taking over now the defensive duties, defensive coordinator duties. Tampa Bay travels. Bengals are at home. Like you said, a lot of similarities, both between the teams and what they look like and the injury front. How do you see this one playing out? Well, it, the, the defense is going to have to execute. Uh, you know it. What you know what they say: X's and O's don't care about personnel. So you've got to go out there. Whatever play is is drawn up. You have to execute. You can't be out of position and or put yourself in a position where you you mess up the uh, the rest of the defense. So they have to go out there and play. They have to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, the Vita Vea has been doing very well. You know, as a run stopper, I'm very happy with where he's at. And he's uh, continually making progress. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul is another guy. You, you have to account for him at all times. And he can get to the quarterback. So uh, the linebacker core, even though you're you're missing a Quan Alexander, you do have a Levante David and uh, some of your other linebackers as, as well. So there are players out there that can make plays. And, again, it's going to be up to, you know, the Bucs to, to get those stops and get those three and outs and get the ball back to the offense. So that's going to be the key. And when you come back to to offense, Jameis Winston, you got to cut out the got to cut out the uh, turnovers. You can't have penalties. And again, on the offense side of the so offensive side of the ball, these guys have to catch the ball. Chris Godwin, uh, Mike Evans, uh, Cameron Bray, OJ Howard. These guys have to go out there. Deshaun Jackson. These guys have to go out there and and catch those balls. Yeah, obviously Mike Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson are the two bigger names, but I, I like that Chris Godwin kid. He he, he can play, man. Uh, I watched a couple of nice grabs he made last week against the Browns as I paid attention to that game before the uh, the Sunday night debacle that we got to witness. Uh, Gene Thomas with the Buck What You Heard podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Just tell our listeners how to get in touch with you and at least – at least follow you this week and maybe even into the playoffs if Tampa Bay makes it that far so they can kind of keep in touch I, with I you. Love, I love talking football. So you can reach me at Buck What You Heard on Twitter. Uh, that's normally where I hang out and, and get some of my mindless tweets or, you know, eventually sometimes I do actually talk about football, but uh, <laughs> I, I do, I do engage with everybody. So if you follow me, I'll follow you back. Awesome. Well, our pleasure having you on, man. I appreciate you reaching out time, and, man. uh, yeah, super stoked that that you were uh, you're part of this program and uh, enjoy the game this Sunday. I mean, it, it, right. it, could, it should be fun. It could be fun. A lot of points, probably, right? Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to, man. It's a like I said, it's a it's a measuring stick to see where the bucks are. Yep. All right, see you, right. See you later. Jim. Appreciate it. Uh, awesome to talk to to Gene Thomas. There, really, really stoked to have him on this program and. Uh, he brought some brought some awesome knowledge, you know. Not a, like I said, not a team that the Bengals face a lot, so it, there's not a lot of familiarity there uh, going forward. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We are so excited to have the live listeners with us, and we are so grateful for you downloading this program, even if it's after the fact. If you if you can at some point join us live, we would love to have you join us live. We're usually on Wednesday nights. Um, I do want to say this. We may have a little bit, just a preemptive, we may have a little bit of a scheduling issue next week because it's Halloween, and uh, I have a little guy, and Scott has a little guy. 
Um, so we may have to go take take those guys out trick or treat. So we may do a Tuesday or Thursday night podcast. We'll we'll try and work around that. It is the bye week, so hey, you know, we're 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 kind of we're gonna kind of be a little lax next week too. But that doesn't mean we won't have much to talk about. We'll still have stuff to talk about. But um, just gonna let you know we we might not record Wednesday night live next week. It might be a Tuesday night. Or a Thursday night at this point. That's probably what we're looking at. So keep it to at Bengals OBI on Twitter for the information on that. Or if you just don't hear about it, it'll be on the feed and you can continue to download this program as you usually do on iTunes, on YouTube, on Stitcher, on Google Play, at CincyJungle.com, and at Art19. So appreciate all of that. We're going to get to some listener questions. You can call or text in 949 949- 542-6241-949-542-6241. And we will uh, try and get to your questions as we can, call or text. Uh, We do have an email question already that was sent to us from our, uh, a listener, a regular listener of ours and quite apropos because it's from Michael Myers as we are on the, the precipice of Halloween. (laughs) Um, Michael Myers has an email that says hi it's it's a little lengthy so I'm going to try and get to the the meat of it hi Anthony just wanted your opinion on this and no it's not due to the loss of the Chiefs but more about the past few seasons in an article I read today could we see another exodus like the Raiders are doing anytime soon? Now, in case you missed it, both the Raiders and the Giants appear to be in fire sale mode. Um, could we could we see a, a mass exodus of players? We've seen the Bengals do this already with Chad, Carson, TJ in 2010. Uh, the Raiders have given up, all, but only – but did acquire three first-round picks in the next three years. Um, he mentions the Browns. Could we see Andy, Dalton, Green, Burfick, Kirkpatrick, and others be on the outs due to an age, due to age and a season that is not looking good, um, not to mention Marvin's lack of success? So uh, I, I'm going to tell you this. Gino and Carlos Dunlap will probably not be in this conversation because they just signed extensions this offseason. But – there are other stars that that could be, and you never know. I don't think this is in the DNA of an Andy Dalton or an AJ Green, but you never know about disgruntled guys mm. um, in terms of losing, losing to the Steelers, all of that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think the the Bengals are usually conservative. They don't really do that, but they if they get an offer on the table and they see a decline, the thing is, is Carson wanted out. Their hand was forced there. Chad was declining, and he was disgruntled. Their hand was somewhat forced there. Keith Rivers was another guy that was a high pick that they're you know they just kind of said, "Dude, we got to get rid of this guy and get what we can." Um, I still think that you know Andy, AJ, all those guys. You know, Andy has his ups and downs, but he's been playing relatively well this year. These guys still are playing well and are probably plateauing at this point. Yeah. Um, uh, your your thoughts on on that email from Michael Myers, John? So the thing about the Raiders and the Giants specifically is that John Green signed a ten year contract. Pat Shermer was also a 
a new head coach this year. Those are two brand new regimes that ha- that both organizations are thinking long term, and obviously both of them have been at one win on the season. They're kind of in similar positions where you know they're basically tanking, even if they won't say they are tanking. And you know the head coaches want to get you know clear the roster out of guys that they didn't initially bring in, you know get whatever assets they can to kind of build their own versions of the team, specifically with the Raiders, you know, Gruden is already thinking about Vegas. He's not thinking about the next year in Oakland at this point anymore. And ne- next year is basically, you know, a watch. He's thinking about 2020. He's thinking about playing in that brand new stadium in, in, in Las Vegas. And if he can get anything for players that he doesn't see in their long-term vision, then he's going to basically get whatever he can. I don't think that's similar for the Bengals because this is Martin Luce is on a two-year contract. I do believe that there is some light at the end of the tunnel for the end of that um, tenure that he's on. And I don't think that the situations are comparable because it's not exactly a new tenure um, ahead of Marvin. And these are kind of still his guys. So I don't think the situations are quite comparable. And plus the Bengals don't really do this often. So I just don't think that it's likely to happen because of those reasons. Yeah. And the key phrase there, his guys, quote unquote. And I, I think when John Gruden uh, took over the, took over the Raiders, you know, even, even though Khalil Max is stud, you know, he, he didn't draft him, all that kind of stuff. And I, I think he got, he felt as if he got, a, you know, a, a big loot there and didn't, um, you know, could, couldn't pass it up, whatever. Amari Cooper, they got another first round pick. Scott, it, it, I, I don't know if you heard the entire uh, email from, from listener Michael Myers, but basically the, the crux of it is could the Bengals be engaging in a fire sale at some point now they're in kind of a tricky window because the trade deadline's on the 30th um, and the Bengals are still four and three right in the mix of the AFC North. Whereas the, the Raiders, uh, one of the teams mentioned, and then we mentioned the giants and other teams that are engaging in fire sales. Um, they're not in the mix. They're collecting picks and trying to get the, uh, as many high picks as possible. But could we see at some point, if this team goes six and 10 or what have you, could we see this team potentially trade some of its stars, AJ green, Andy Dalton, um, like they did with Carson, Chad, et cetera. I'm going to say no for two reasons. One would be, um, just the simple fact that, um, I just don't think they are creative enough to do something like that to intentionally, they don't seem to have the mindset. I mean, um, John mentioned earlier, as far as like the them trading and using picks like within the draft, and they just don't seem to have that mindset of thinking beyond. Okay, we grab our picks, our consent, our contempt, you know, uh, con- yeah, can't think of the word right now. Compensatory picks. Yeah, you know, they. <laughs> I I just don't see them having the forward thinking mindset to say, hey, let's you know, think a little for. The reason I don't see it is because both Marvin Lewis and owner Mike Brown are on something of a ticking clock. Um, Mike Brown is an older man. His brother has not passed away at a younger age. His dad passed away at a really young age. I would have to assume he probably feels he's not going to be around for another 80, 90 years. And I think that's part of the reason why he's kept Mike or Marvin Lewis, because he kind of knows I don't want to have to go through that rebuild. I want to try to get a championship while I still can so I don't see him blowing it up, doing anything, replacing coaches, you know, anything crazy. And obviously mm-hmm. Marvin is on a, you know, he's kind of well 
stayed beyond where he probably should have, but I, I don't see him doing anything either because unless you're on a 10-year deal, like you, you know you mentioned with John Gruden, where you know you have that security, you know, without that uh, you know, that job security, you there's really no, nothing, there's no benefit for you to tank for the next guy. You know, you're not gonna that no one's gonna say, Yeah, I'm in this temporarily, I'll go ahead and tank so you can get a bunch of picks and get a bunch of future guys that the next guy can win with, you know, usually, you know, coaches aren't that altruistic. They <laughs> tend to be a little more selfish as far as what can I do, build my legacy, build my wins, um, even if it doesn't help the future, because I'm looking at right here right now. So for those reasons, I I would be very surprised to see them do anything more than just like one random trade. Yeah. And, and, and the 2010 and 2011 draft classes have really shaped the success of the Bengals in recent years. Um, you know, yeah, they've, you know, Kevin Zeitler was a successful guy um, in, in the 2012 draft and Eifert had his moments. Perfect has had his moments, but uh, even though he was undrafted, but really those first two classes have, have netted the most star, those 2010, 2011 classes have netted the most stars. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, the, the other high, high picks have not really pulled the same weight as, as those picks. So if the Bengals do engage in a fire sale, they sure as hell better Get, get guys that can impact the game right away. We do have a call on the line. It is from our good friend, John from Kentucky. Uh, first of all, thanks, Michael Myers, for your email. And John from Kentucky, how are you, sir? Hey, thanks for taking my call, uh, Anthony. And uh, you guys do a great job on this podcast. Thank you. And, hey, this weekend, and this is going to be a good game coming up against Tampa Bay because – Yeah, I, I don't know there, John. Um, I, it's it's hard to explain, but I, I you know, I, I think that. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I I don't know there, John. I I think that unfortunately, um, I think tight end in general is just a dangerous position in the NFL because you're asked to block a lot of times similar to a tight end, but you're also asked to go across the middle and take some big hits. I mean, Rob Gronkowski, known as the best tight end in the NFL is on the injury report almost every week mm -hmm. uh, and missing games all the time. So, I mean, I, I, I think, I don't, I don't think it's just a Bengals thing, but I do think that, um, you know, it's just a dangerous position to play. Uh, I do, I do appreciate your upbeat nature and I do, I do appreciate your good point that you made about the AFC North and what, 
what that entails, obviously now there's been a, a Roger Goodell in this last couple of years has made kind of a mandate that schedules pretty much usually end on a, on an important divisional game because they don't like to see teams do that rest, rest your starters type of thing. They want to see the ratings and all of that um, and have games matter until the very last week of the season. So um, I think that's part of it, but uh, Scott, your thoughts on John's comments and John, we're, we're going to, we're going to get you off the air real quick before we do though, uh, prediction for Sunday. I, I see a lot, like you said, I see a fun game, but maybe one with a lot of wacky turnovers and, and interesting, interesting plays your, your quick prediction on, on Sunday against the Buccaneers. I will say Cincinnati in overtime, 27 to 24. Interesting. I like it. Okay. Uh, well, We'll get you off the air, John. I appreciate it. Okay. Hootay. <laughs> John, your your thoughts on what uh, John from Kentucky said. Yeah, I think they would do better um, playing the week after they play the Steelers if they actually beat the Steelers for once. I think it's more of just a morality thing. With um, Constant defeat kind of gets you down, and that one-week turnaround can be sometimes a little bit too quick. And to, 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 to John's point, you know, they have played the Steelers on week 17 a few times when they went to the playoffs, and obviously they didn't do well. And I don't think that's specifically just a Steelers issue or playing the Steelers issue. But, like, the, you, like you can't tell me with a straight face that these players aren't sick and tired of losing to the Steelers and how that doesn't somehow take a toll that can carry on for the, for the rest of the week. When you're practicing, you're still thinking about the game. You might not be focused completely on the next team. So, yeah, if they did finding it to Steelers, if they were – in the Steelers position, they wouldn't have a problem. It's just mainly just constantly losing to them rather than just playing them and getting beat up after the game, I think. Yeah, I think it's – I think part of it too might just be the team they play. And I don't know why there are certain teams that the Bengals, when they play, they just – they shouldn't struggle against. Or, that you know, a certain team, like, well, you obviously should beat this guy, and they never seem to. And um, – this isn't exactly what John was uh, asking about, but when they played the Buccaneers, it just seems like that is a team that, for whatever reason, the Bengals. I don't know if they overlook it. They just and it's different oh, coaches, different players. Yeah, yeah. Right. But you go back like the, uh, they've had lost like six or seven in a row until last year, and like the last few, they they had a better record. They lost by a point when Tampa Bay came back and outscored them back in two thousand six. In two thousand ten, they were winning. They gave up a halftime lead, got beat by three points. The next time when they played in 2014, the Bengals were, you know, had a much better record. Tampa Bay was 2-10. and 10. The Bengals barely held on to win that one. Uh, they were you know, half a minute to go. Tampa Bay was driving down the field, and they were able to stop them on a completed fourth and long that where Tampa just came short. So for whatever reason – yeah, you like you have those teams that, and and obviously, like, you know, he's saying like after you play a certain game, but I think a probably bigger thing than NFL would be like a a night game or a Monday game where you have that short week. I I don't know if Sunday night would have been enough to yeah. make the Bengals not play as well, but I think that may be coupled with the fact that for whatever reason, Marvin's teams when they play Tampa just don't seem to play very well. So. I'd like. I mean, you, we can kind of look at the game and think, man, Tampa scores a bunch of points, but their defense is horrible. You know, it should be high scoring, high scoring, but I don't. I don't know. It's, just, it's so hard to say because these when these teams play, it's just yeah, it almost yeah. looks like. Remember that? Remember that 2006 game with Justin Smith and and that weird 
uh, roughing the passer. <laughs> it was like a 13, 13 to seven game. It was just something ridiculous. It was we're going we're going way back into history there, but um, it uh, I don't know I don't know. I, I, John, you're laughing. I, I don't know if it's because you remember that game or okay memory. Okay. Yeah, that 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 was a disaster. Uh, guys, we have another good friend on the line, Terrell uh, from Cincinnati. Terrell, how are you, sir? How you doing, Ty? Good. Good. We're doing. We're doing well. I mean, two straight losses. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. But uh, how are you? Well, a lot of good points there, Terrell. We're going to talk about them off the air with you. And you made some amazing points. Always appreciate you calling in. Continue to be a regular, sir. Appreciate it. And hopefully you get to win. Uh, uh, no problem. Y'all, y'all, uh, this is the best game channel on earth. I'm saying I wouldn't get it. So y'all, y'all top 10, number one. Good point. Everybody, I like the little gang I was playing about the uh, – Oh, nice. Well, I appreciate the compliment, man. You're welcome on here anytime. Appreciate it. And uh, you brought up some great points that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, you know, there there's a lot here from, from Terrell. And <laughs> you, you can go to, you know, obviously the coaching situation and possible changes there. Um, I like what he said though about kind of the young the young guys and and playing all that. John, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you on this one because you do the weekly lineman on Cincy Jungle. You watch some tape. There's also a post on Cincy Jungle about snap distribution. And I thought Terrell brought up a good point about hey, you know, things were working against Miami, against Atlanta when, you know, yeah, Willis isn't getting in the stat sheet, but he's in there. Sam Hubbard is making some impact plays here and there. Um, yet against the Chiefs and, and the Steelers, Cincinnati went with the veterans. They went with Michael Johnson. How many? I don't. I don't think they calculated it correctly because I think Michael Johnson is still missing backfield tackles against Kareem Hunt as we sit here tonight. <laughs> I mean, there, there was like there were like three at least where I'm like, dude, wrap the guy up. Um, yeah. And I love Michael Johnson. I love him as a guy. I love him in the locker room. I I, I think he's a good rotational guy in this team. But still, he gets. The bulk of the snaps. Um, I, when's that going to change? I, you know, 
you look at uh, he talked. Terrell also talked about Westerman. Um, there's just this bullheadedness with Marvin Lewis and the staff, and I don't get it. Yeah, and the Westerman issue has nothing to do with veterans. Alex Redman, who's a third-year undrafted guy, it, it, Mark Lewis just has favorites, and that's just something that we've come to accept. And like, he's not, he's not just like Alexander. Paul Alexander wasn't going to talk bad about Russell Bodine. Marvin Lewis isn't going to talk bad about Alex Redmond. So that's just something that we can just forget about, I guess. And I'm partially to blame because I brought it up earlier. But with Michael Johnson, I think it's, I think it's more of just a, a thing about with with Willis and Hubbard. I haven't been too impressed with either of those guys so far this year. And obviously Hubbard's a rookie. Willis is a second year guy, and I expected to see some type of jump with him. And we haven't quite seen it yet. And I think that's yeah. partially to the reason why. Johnson is still out there for more snaps than what we would like to see because, you know, we know what we're getting with him. We don't exactly know what we're getting with either Willis or Hubbard at this point. Hubbard's made some great splash plays. I'll give him that, but there's not been any realm or any sense of consistency with him. And I mean, with Willis, you would think that he'd be able to do the same thing as Johnson, but he just hasn't, he hasn't really put it all together yet. And I think that's still something that we need to see before we officially pound the table against Johnson. And to, like you're kind of, like Vincent Ray is basically in the same boat as Johnson, right? Like why he's out on the field getting completely blown up on second level blocks, I, I just don't know. I don't know why you don't try someone else there. But with, with, specifically with Johnson and I guess Redmond, it's just it, it's it's just that stubbornness, I guess, and it's just that that bullish on certain guys that. You know, in the middle of the season, you'd like to see change, and it's just it just doesn't happen under Lewis, I guess. Yeah, and kudos to Rebecca Toback and our uh, again our good friend Joe Goodberry, two very good follows on Twitter as well as um, you, John Scott. I'd I'd mention you as a good follow on Twitter, but you're not you're not the you're not the most omnipresent Twitter guy. But kudos to them in terms of them bringing up the amount of pressures that Alex Redmond has allowed this year. Alex Redmond's been okay in the run game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but he has given up, he's on pace to give up by far the most pressures that any offensive guard has given up in the NFL in the, uh, in the last handful of years. Um, I think he's on pace for over 70 at this point right now, which is unbelievable. He had six against the chiefs. Um, Scott, you and I have been around these parts for a while. We've seen a lot of things. We've seen a lot of stubbornness from Marvin Lewis um, I, I've got. I want to. T- I want you to touch on that point, but I also want to touch on another kind of caveat that Terrell sort of talked about, but didn't specifically mention. And my, th- and that's Joe Mixon, because my thing is with this is you have injuries to Croft, Eifert, Geo, and uh, Ross. I mean. You kind of got to say, okay, we were this, you know, past happy offense the first three, four weeks, and we had all of these guys. Now we don't. Mixon still is showing, regardless, that he can be effective. Um, granted, it's mostly draws, delays, and, and, and things of that nature. So I, I want you to talk about a little bit about the stubbornness of Marvin Lewis and his reluctance to change some of these positions, but also Joe Mixon. And... Uh, you know, the fact that they should be relying on this guy a bit more. The carries have dropped the past couple of weeks. They should be relying on this guy a bit more, especially with the injuries, right? Yeah, and I think uh, starting with that one, yeah, you look at the carries, he's averaging 12 yards, or not 12 yards a carry. It'd be pretty awesome. 12 (laughs) carries a game the last couple weeks. And, you know, the first three, the first 
three games, the first two and then the first one back from the injury, he had 17, 21, and 22. So right there around 20, all the suns are dropping off. And the difference is in those other two, they were losing. And it's almost like they just get away from what they're good at, what they what works. When they're losing, they tend to get away from, okay, we're just going to run the ball. We're going to run. We're going to trust this guy who is a very good runner when he has the ball. And the Pittsburgh game, he averaged like almost six yards a carry. And that's like when they played Pittsburgh last year, when and it was early in the year when he uh, made that comment about how he's out playing Le'Veon Bell. And in that game, he did. In that game, I mean, he averaged, what, six, seven yards a carry, you know, I had five carries and didn't touch it again the second half and was uh, upset about it. And But it's just, a yeah, sometimes they're – they just kind of get away from certain things that work. And that's kind of something I mentioned earlier about the adjustments. Like you need to have someone on their staff, either an, someone who's actually a coach or someone with them that says, Hey, you know, kind of slaps them with the wet towel or whatever and helps them get back and you know, reoriented or whatever it is. And then as far as the, uh, yeah, the stubbornness thing, like you said, we've, we've seen that quite a bit with him. And I think many fans heading into the, preseason and into the regular season, we're kind of hopeful that Westerman would get a lot of playing time and get a legitimate chance to be a starter. And that's something that I think from the beginning of training camp, um, the Bengals were pretty adamant and kind of saying that this guy is not a starter. He's not a starter, even though he was great in preseason. And I know pro football focus said he was great in preseason. And when fans saw him on, you know, in those games, he was great in preseason and the Bengals were like, Nope, it's either Hopkins or, red minute right guard this guy is just a backup and you know for us who have been around a while it it we've seen several we've seen examples of that in the past and pr- the one that people who would be on the western camp would be the most likely to call up is the whole evan mathis nate livings thing where whenever you saw them play it's like man this mathis ah, guy's ah. pretty good and you watch livings like man why do they keep running him out there and they let mathis go and he becomes an all pro but then there's also other times like Anthony Collins when he was a Bengal, he was a left tackle. He subbed in occasionally for Andrew Whitworth when there were injuries or whatever. He looked decent. Like, wow, this guy looks pretty good. He looks like a good pass protector. I don't know why they don't put this guy on the line somewhere, let him start. So he hit free agency after his rookie contract, Tampa Bay signs him to a big contract and Bengals fans are like, grr, you know, cursing it. How dare you let this guy get away? And, and Tampa Bay, I think cut him before the year was out because he just wasn't, as good as we thought he was. So it's, it's really hard to know with Westerman until they give him a chance, you know, is he uh, Evan Mathis and the Bengals are just being stubborn and, you know, stupid, or is he Anthony Collins? And maybe they're saying something at practice we don't see. And okay. He's good in flashes against, you know, lesser opponents or in like little brief periods. But at the end of the day, he's just not the lineman that, you know, fans think he is. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point. Um, Devin Mathis, Nate Living's thing. Good. God. That was just, <laughs> dude, really? Um, and, and that's kind of what's frustrating here. You know, I mean, you kind of see some things and, and I, I guess this is where both coaches and, and myself, I, I really respect pro football focus. I really like the metrics. I really like it, but I don't love it. There are certain things where you kind of go, well, yeah, but I mean, in, in the case of Redmond, they're counting pressures that he lets up. And he's ridiculous in terms of that. But the Bengals, this is what I don't understand. I think the Bengals really like the, the quote-unquote nastiness of Redmond, especially in the run game. But then we talk about Joe Mixon not getting enough carries. So if you're going to be a ground-and-pound team and you want to trot Redmond out there, 
fine. But run the ball. If, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that and trot him out there where pass protection is definitely not his forte, the stats show it, then that 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 doesn't make sense to me. There could be a change coming back. Billy Price did practice Wednesday. We don't think he's gonna play Sunday. We'll see. Uh, but there could be a change where either he or Trey Hopkins could maybe move to right guard. Trey Hopkins hasn't been great at center, but I think he's been better than most people thought. I, mm-hmm. I kind of thought he'd be a borderline disaster. Uh, secondary position, typical Bengals offensive line deal. Let's put a guy into a position that's a secondary position and start him, right? Um, so I, that that's my thing. And I think now just because of the injuries and everything, I think that Joe Mixon kind of needs to be a guy that they rely on. And I think – the stats show that the Bengals run most of their successful plays. John, you can corroborate this out of their out of the shotgun, and they run a lot of their successful run plays out of draws, delays, things like that. Especially with Mixon and his patience um, to to kind of find creases. They noted on on Sunday Night Football where he, you know, even Chris Collinsworth said he looks Le'Veon Bell esque on some of these runs where he's just waiting and finding the hole, and he'll get five, six, sometimes eight, nine yards. Um, and I think that that's going to get the, the team in more manageable third down situations, which has been a killer for them the past two weeks, right? Yeah, agreed. And to, to that point, like just because Mixon can't run under center as well doesn't mean he's a bad running back. The best example is Todd Gurley, who um, if you watch Todd Gurley, he's a, he's a beast out of outside zone, but for whatever reason, he doesn't do well inside zone. And that's just a little bit – it's just a little intricacies in the running game where, you know, some, as long as Mixon is good in some place, they should just use him there. And I, and I get that like in, you know, in the modern day, like passing the ball is just more efficient than running the ball. But if you don't have the offensive line to pass protect, you might as well just lean on a solid running game where, you know, you, you're going to have success. And I think the Bengals have that and they just need to, they just need to do it. Yep. We're going to get out of here with one quick, because we have the return of Scott Schulte. Uh, we're going to get out of here with one quick, just kind of general fantasy football question. Scott, um, I, and, and Scott, in case you remember, is our resident fantasy football expert. Last year, I was I was pounding my chest because I won my league. This year, I am a seller dweller, my friend. Um, some of it has to do with injury. Some of it had to do with, I took some big gambles on guys like Eifert, Josh Gordon, John Ross. Late round, mind you, late round. But um, it's been... Uh, a bit of a gamble. Who are some guys now, or or even a defense kickers, whoever? Who are some players now? Maybe Amari Cooper. Now that he's on Dallas, um, some guys that you think, hey, waiver wire pickup. This is a guy who could salvage your season as you're midway through the year. There, well, I guess it's really not a great answer because a lot of it depends on who's available in your league. I mean, right. there's a lot of different leagues, and some are, you know guys who tend to be a little more savvy. And so any name I mentioned is going or, to be taken. Trade. If they're not free agents, yeah. maybe trade. And that's not too, like if you read any of these articles or like, oh, grab this guy. He's only owning like 25% of leagues. I tend to be in those leagues where like they're the 25% and that those are the guys that are never available. Yeah. And, but uh, yeah, that being said, the, usually the, the best, this is a, I'll give you a rule of thumb and then maybe give you a couple names as maybe like some really, really deep desperate guys, depending if you have like a really deep roster, but uh, a general rule of thumb that I've used historically has been uh, you can't score points if you are not getting touches. 
So for me, the biggest thing is looking at when you're looking at adding a guy, maybe on waivers, maybe someone who is out there because he's underperformed or hasn't done a lot is um, the guys who maybe are getting a lot of targets in the passing game, but just aren't um, for whatever reason, haven't converted that to a bunch of points yet. I mean, obviously a touchdown's worth a lot more than, you know, a, a catch and a, a and yardage and, but those are very fluky. And so what'll happen is early in the year, the guys who, you know, get all their touchdowns front loaded in the season are going to be the guys who are getting scooped up in waivers. And the guys who maybe are getting a lot of targets are getting a, you know, high snap count percentage who are used a lot in the passing game, but aren't necessarily getting those touchdowns right now. Uh, those are the guys who are going to be available. So as a rule of thumb, those are the guys I, I, I generally target. And like anything else, it's not 100% foolproof. But generally the guys who you know are getting snaps, are getting on the field, are getting targets, are getting you know looks, those are the guys who at, at the end of the day, you know, at the end of week 17 and you're all done, and you look at their numbers, you're like, yeah, that guy was available. He was, he was out there. That was someone maybe I should have grabbed when he was available. And uh, just a couple names that are coming to mind because this is kind of just – like shooting from the hip, but uh, those guys coming back from injury, like Jack Doyle, who was a low TE tight end, maybe high tight end too, kind of a guy, but depending on what your situation is, uh, he's kind of been passed up on as far as people's uh, perspective because Eric Abram's been doing so good. But one of the reasons Abram's been doing so well is because Doyle's been hurt. Doyle's coming back. He's probably available. He might be a desperation grab. Another really deep guy is Traquan Smith. Don't know if anyone knows who that is, but he is a receiver for the Saints. And now with Ted Ginn on IR, he's supposed to be their uh, next the, the next guy up. And his uh, snap counts have kind of shown it the last couple of weeks that he is basically stepping in that role. And I mean, I'm not going to I wouldn't say he should be your top receiver, but you know, he's someone to look at. Uh, another guy, uh, yeah, there's so many guys. I could just hear a name a million names. The problem is, it just depends on who's available in your league. But um, as far as you mentioned defense, one thing I'd, I'm a big believer in drafting defenses really late uh, last round or even after that. And the main reason is because it's all based on touchdowns and defensive touchdowns are super fluky. And this is the time of year when, you know, teams have cut a defense because they went on a buy or, you know, something happened. And it's a, I'm a big believer kind of looking at, okay, who are they playing the next three, four weeks? You know, who is this defense lineup against? And oh man, this team, like if you find that defense that has some really good matchups that maybe got cut or maybe isn't the best defense, because at the end of the day, you could take the, NF the NFL's best defense and the NFL's like 15th best defense on any given week in fantasy. The 15th best defense or 20th is just as likely to score points for you as that first best defense because it's all based on interceptions. And you know, you tip a ball, you get interception, you get a fluky touchdown, like the two touchdowns the Bengals had against the Dolphins. I mean, you really can't account for that on any defensive metric or project that. You can't really project, you know, that Sam Hubbard and Michael Johnson are going to run in and get you 12 points in fantasy. <laughs> so with with def, you know with defenses that's a, a nice way to steal points is kind of and that way you're not hoarding roster spots and some people like to have two defenses because they like to to me as is wasting roster spots so just kind of i don't know they call it defensive streaming where you just kind of go week by week um there, another thing if you're depending on the league one thing also look at doing if you are if your starting quarterback has passed your by if he's a good quarterback you may not need two quarterbacks because some people are going to keep two quarterbacks on their team. And in doing that, you're kind of wasting a roster spot. And I'm a big believer of you can never have enough running backs because you never know who's going to get hurt. You never 
uh, kind of like with the, you look at the Patriots, they lost uh, Rex Burkhead. They put Sonny Michelle out there. Well, now Sonny Michelle's hurt. And now it's, um, you know, someone like Ken John Barner or uh, James White is going to get more touches. Well, those guys may have been available a few weeks ago because you know, guys like Burkhead and Sonny Michelle were getting all the love before Burkhead got hurt. And, uh, but if you were using that roster spotter on a second quarterback and a second defense, well, you missed out on the opportunity to kind of scarf, scarf up those uh, or scoop up those extra guys when you could. So, you know, big believer of hoarding, <laughs> hoarding running backs uh, like that. Michael Douglas, one of them says greed is good. When it comes to running backs, greed is good. Uh, and yeah, kind of keep the positions you need and look for opportunity. It's a lot of guys will make waiver picks chasing points from a week or two ago because a guy gets, you know, backup tight end gets two fluky catches for touchdowns in the fourth quarter and everyone goes and grabs him and he hasn't scored a touchdown the whole rest of the year. Instead, I, I, I tend to chase the guy that, okay, who's the tight end that he got a bunch of looks in the, maybe in the red zone or in the, maybe had seven or eight targets two, three weeks in a row, but just, it just didn't work out. But you know, this guy is going to get his when it's all said and done. Those are the guys I'm, I guess I'd said be more likely to grab. So I guess that's more of a principle than a specific name. Yeah, and I, I'll say this for me. Philip Lindsay was a good little week two, week three waiver wire pickup. <laughs> uh, he was a guy that was just floating out there, and all of a sudden I picked him up. So thanks for the fantasy football info, Scott. Good to have you back. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. YouTube, Art19, and Cincy Jungle. You could get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI. Our thanks to Gene Thomas of Buck What You Heard podcast. He was awesome. He brought some great knowledge and uh, looking forward to this Sunday. Let's get out of here real quick with some predictions, guys. Uh, Scott, prediction, score prediction for Sunday. Do you think the Bengals right the ship? Aha, do you see what I said? Nice pun there. Uh, nope. As they go, as they go into into week nine, hey, don't shake your head. At me, <laughs> uh, do you think? Do you think they they get back to their winning ways this week, Scott? Yeah, I think, and I think Vegas actually has. Well, they're home, but I think Vegas has them a favorite too because I think and most Pretty fans. Heavy. Really, I heard they were favorite. I didn't know how much, but I think most fans realize that you know they had that three and one start. They they're a decent team. I mean, the the offensive line hasn't looked atrocious like last year. Uh, you know, the, the team has sparked at moments. The the two games, obviously, Pittsburgh, they always struggle with Pittsburgh at home. Kansas City is just a juggernaut right now, and the Bengals just were not on their level. So outside of those two games, the Bengals have you know done pretty well. Tampa Bay is not Kansas City. They're not Pittsburgh at home. So those are kind of the two outliers, and you look at the whole rest of the season, I think Tampa Bay lines up with some of the teams like the Dolphins and the Colts and their teams they've been playing this year and the Falcons. And so I, I think it's a team that – they should it's a game they should win it's a home game it's a game it's a game against an opponent who i'm you know is not far superior to them uh, as far as the roster or how they've been performing so it's definitely one i think they can win i i'm going to say they will win um uh, i just don't see them losing three in a row uh, that being said i i'm going to say i'm going to guess it's kind of high scoring i mean Tampa's had trouble stopping people and they've been scoring a lot of points. They've been throwing the ball like four, almost 400 yards a game, but they just can't seem to run the ball. Uh, the Bengals pass rush has been kind of non-existent. So of late, I'm going to say they probably air it out. They get some, hopefully lots of touchdowns to OJ Howard, who's on my fantasy team. And uh, you know, 
throw two, three touchdowns his way, but the Bengals score some more. And <laughs> it's uh, just throwing a num- pull a number out of the air. I'm going to say 31-24 Cincinnati. Okay. And, you know, a, a big difference going into the bye at five and three than four and four, John. Uh, and I think a win, even against a, you know, decent – Decent Tampa Bay team, not as good as Kansas City or the Steelers, but a decent Tampa Bay team. Um, getting things right would make the fan base calm down a bit. Your prediction this week? Yeah, sure. I'll go with a win. Why not? Um, I, I just think it comes down to just – I think Dolan's a better quarterback than Jameis, um, but I don't think that I, – I think until they put up a lot of points without Ross and Eifert, I'll just predict that they don't go above 30 and – I think they're going to win because I think this is just going to be one of those weeks where the defense kind of feasts because they're playing a quarterback in James Winston who was careless with the ball and they might get opportunistic uh, chances, maybe like a maybe like a twenty-four to like nineteen or seventeen win. I think, and I think going into the bye week, you know, they're going to have a lot riding on this. Like you said, and you don't want to go into their at five hundred when you could be five and three. I, 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 Buccaneers can put up a lot of points, but again, I think that they're led by a quarterback who could be making a lot of mistakes against the defense that is getting a lot of crap lately. So I'll, I'll go with like a 24-17 win. Yeah, I'll go 24-23 Bengals. Uh, barely win. This game reminds me a lot of last year when the Bengals had the Colts coming into town, desperately needed a win after losing a lot of games and a lot of close games and a lot of games that, they, you know, they just need this win. It's at home. It's against a team that has been up and down. And I, this game just kind of reminds me of that. But I think it's going to be one where you're, like, frustrated a lot, um, a game where you're just – it just it just bothers you. But uh, I do yeah. think the Bengals get to, to five and three, which – in case you're not a math major, that puts them on pace for a ten and six season. Uh, doesn't mean they'll end there, but if the, if you get to the bye at five and three, I think that uh, you're in good shape going forward. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to get out of here. My thanks to Scott Schultz who uh, rejoined us. Hopefully, you make it a more regular thing, my friend, and to John Sheeran, my co-host as well. Um, again, get us on all the platforms that we've mentioned throughout the show. Our thanks to Gene Thomas of the Buck What You Heard podcast. Go check out his show because I'm about to go on it. So uh, go check it out and um, enjoy the game this Sunday. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you to all of our listeners. We'll see you next time. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.